Paul the Apostle wrote 2,000 years ago, and he said that living for Christ is not something that's popular today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Thank you for joining us today as we go through the Bible again. We're in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. This is an interesting topic. We'll be dealing with 1 Corinthians 4 in about five minutes, but right now, Ryan is here. Ryan, what's going on? Well, today, Paul declares Christ as the fulfillment of the Passover festival. My segment today will show how Jesus also fulfilled three of the other Israelite festivals during his first coming. Very good. Look forward to that, Janice. Today, the power of God is my segment. All right, very good. We have a special guest on today as well. Ray Craddock is here, a very good friend. And we're going to talk to Ray. Ray, you're going to be talking. Great to be here with you guys. (laughs) All right, so there you go. Take out your Bible guide. Let's turn to today's passage as we focus on this, because this is important to hear what Paul says about what this means to live for Christ. First Corinthians 4, 10 through 21. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love and a spirit of gentleness? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 21. First Corinthians chapter four, chapter five and chapter six is what we read today. You know, too often we think that we have the answers to our problems when we really don't. No one has the answer to the problem of sin, S-I-N, in this world, except Jesus Christ. Now, Paul speaks with the church at the city of Corinth and he confronts them about their arrogance. His words are hard and they're direct. But this is difficult, yet it is essential as a passage of Scripture that brings awareness and a warning. We should not think more highly of ourselves or favor one person over another. When we come to Jesus Christ, we surrender our lives to humility, not to arrogance. 
As Christians, we should boast only in the Lord Jesus. We need to continue to keep ourselves under the clear discipline of the Holy Spirit. And that's very important, under the clear discipline of the Holy Spirit. As we begin the study today, take out your Bible guide and turn to the passage that we are looking at, discipline of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. And let me just say thank you so much for supporting us. We are uh, very much grateful. And we don't tell you how much, but we tell you to pray about it. And God will direct you on whether to support or not. And we pray that everybody who's called to support the program would do so. And so, Father, we pray that people would hear you today in Jesus' name. Now, when you turn your passage there, turn it to that in the Bible guide. If you don't have one, call us, write to us, or go to Bible Discovery TV. Let's pray. And Father, we ask you to help us hear you. We ask for the discipline of the Lord in our minds, which is kind of hard for us because we're used to doing things ourselves, Lord. But help us to go forward in your understanding. Help us to do this, Lord, with the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen, or make it so. Okay, very important. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, verse 10. This is really interesting. It says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, Paul says, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed, and we are beaten and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the fifth of the world, or the filth of the world, I should say, and the offscurring of all things until now. Now, this is fascinating. Paul tells the church, that living for Christ, which he is doing, is not seen as a respected position in the world. We need to remember that Christ was made a spectacle and was crucified for our sake. And if you're a Christian, do you know what that means? You're a follower of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ was not respected in this world, then there is a spirit in this world, the Spirit is Satan, and he is against us. But God is for us, and God is the one through Jesus Christ who gained the victory. Now, we need to understand that, and we need to know that. We're in a struggle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities, Paul said to the church at Ephesus, and we'll get there soon. And he says, that's where you're wrestling against. So keep that in mind. Let's go on and learn more about what Paul is saying. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, he says this, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel, the good news. Therefore, I urge you, I want you to imitate me. 
For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, Paul turns around, then he says, I want you to pay attention. Paul warns the church from a loving father to his children. They should imitate him for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Now, do you know what happens today? We've learned that everybody wants to do what they want when they want to do it because that's the democratic way. But the Bible says that Jesus tells us he doesn't want us to do it that way. We need to understand that he's put things in us, but those things are gifts to people. You know, they're not to make us, you know, great, look good and all that. We need to understand that we are servants of the high God and the holy God, beloved. That's very important as we understand the scripture and what it says. So let's keep that in our heart and keep it close to us. Now, that's interesting. Now, let's go to the last part of the scripture and learn what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. Now, some are puffed up, he says, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and the spirit of gentleness? Now, this is really important. Paul explains that living in God's power is not popular. Now, this world is full of sin beloved, and Jesus defeated sin. We need to remember that. We need to understand that we are opposed to the idea of doing our own thing our own way when we want to do it. We come to the Lord, we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, and we say, Lord, we're not here to do things our way. We're here to listen to you and to do things your way. You know, that's a, that's a major shift in your heart. And that's called coming to know the Lord, to know God as Lord, as the holy God, beloved. And so when we talk about becoming a Christian, when we talk about following Jesus Christ, we're talking about a heart change. I've heard so many people say to me, well, they're a Christian, they're a Christian, they're a Christian. They have no idea what they're saying. Because to be a follower of Christ means that a spiritual conditions inside of you, a spiritual condition inside of me has shifted, has changed, and we are now full of the Holy Spirit. And that's different. That guides us in a different way, beloved. And so we need to keep that in mind. I, I would simply ask you today, have you truly allowed the Holy Spirit to change you? I know I have to pray this all the time. But let's pray together and let's say, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son who died on the cross and rose again miraculously in the flesh, help me to follow your spirit. Change my heart so that I can do the things that you have called me to do and that you ask me to do. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen and amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. 
That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the program. Our reading today is 1 Corinthians chapters 4 through 6, and my specific focus is on chapter 5, where Paul in verse 7 calls Jesus Christ our Passover lamb. In other words, Paul is saying that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover festival. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Jewish festivals and the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. The Jewish festivals which God laid out in Leviticus 23 were all just shadows of the real substance that was to come, and that substance is Jesus Christ. Today we explore the first four feasts and how they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Check it out. It is in the 23rd chapter of Leviticus that God first unveils his calendar for the appointed feasts and festivals of Israel. And it is through these holy convocations that God discloses his outline for the future. Even though not obvious at the time, the feasts were nevertheless precisely spaced and dated because they represented God's timetable of events by which he is moving through history. Therefore, it is not insignificant that Leviticus 23 presents seven feasts in total four in the spring and three in the fall. The first of these feasts, Passover, commemorates the time God spared the children of Israel during their final hours in Egypt when the angel of death passed over those houses which had lamb's blood painted around their doors. As the Apostle Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 5-7, Passover typifies or prefigures the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our ultimate Passover lamb, who was, of course, also crucified on a Passover. The second spring feast, Unleavened Bread, occurs the day following Passover, and it too commemorates Israel's sojourn in Egypt, when God commanded his people to remove all leaven from their houses. Just as yeast causes bread to rise, so sin causes our hearts to swell with pride. In conjunction with Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread looks to the cross of Christ, where sin was put away. The third feast, the Feast of Firstfruits, is observed every year before the spring harvest, on the day after the Sabbath. At this festival, the Israelites are required to offer the Lord the first and best of their harvests. Again, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 plainly tells us what this feast typifies, namely the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he became the firstfruits of many resurrected bodies. Just as Jesus died on Passover as the ultimate Passover lamb, he also rose three days later on the Feast of Firstfruits. The fourth and final spring festival is called the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, and was celebrated 50 days after the Feast of Firstfruits. It was during this festival that the Israelites offered up to God burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings. Most notably of these are the two loaves of bread made without yeast. This festival quite clearly typifies the coming of the Holy Spirit, which occurred on this very feast day in order to bring Jews and Gentiles, apparently represented by the two loaves of bread in Leviticus 23, into one new man. Thus, these four spring feasts are all images of the major events of Jesus Christ's first coming. 
Well, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread speak to us of Calvary, which Christ alludes to in the Last Supper when he says, this is my blood and this is my body. The Feast of Firstfruits and Pentecost point to his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, respectively. It is no wonder, then, why Warren Worsby calls Leviticus 23 the calendar that tells the future. So today we looked at the first four festivals, which all occur in the spring and all typify the final great events of the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. But interestingly, after these four festivals, there's a long break where no festivals occur. But after this summer break comes three more festivals. The question is, if the first four festivals represented events in Jesus's first coming, then what does the summer break represent? And what do the three remaining fall festivals typify? Well, we'll answer that question tomorrow. This is very interesting, Ryan. Very interesting for lots of reasons, and I won't talk about it because I know you're going to talk about it on the next program. So Sounds good. Yeah, join us on the next program. It's going to be good. Janice? Yes, I called my segment The Power of God. My key verses here was 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 19 and 20. Paul says, but I will come to you shortly. This is to the church in Corinth. I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power, and verse 20 says, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Paul would come to examine their teaching from the standpoint of power, meaning teaching in the power of Christ crucified. That's the gospel message. And that's the word that makes the difference. That's the gospel that has the power. It's not our words. I'm not talking about our testimony. Our testimony, we overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Our testimony are our words, our experience in what Christ has done for us. But that cannot change the gospel. We don't earn our salvation. Christ paid for our salvation giving his life, the shedding of his blood, that's the gospel. And that's what Paul was coming to see. Some were puffed up. It's not our words. We don't add to the word of God, nor do we take away from the word of God. And sadly, I can see that happening in some of the Christian realm, in especially in North America, where the gospel seems to be changing and morphing. History is being rewritten and it's not right, Rod. And so I challenge us today, we need to know the true gospel. And the only way to know the true gospel is to get into the word of God. The word of God is Jesus came in the flesh. He is that word. And so that's what we need to get into our hearts and into our minds. I think it's important to remember that we live in a time in which the media is so prevalent. Uh, you know, we, we live in a time when the internet is there. And the internet, of course, connects the world. And uh, they're talking about uh, all kinds of things on that. And then television is there. And as we express television, as we create it, we talk about Christian television, Christ-like television. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, somebody who is involved in Christ-like television is Ray Craddock. And Ray Craddock has been a friend of mine for many years. And we were working on the side about for a couple of things, which we'll talk about. But Ray, welcome to welcome to Bible Discovery TV. <laughs> Almost said quick study. Welcome to Bible Discovery TV. Well, I watch it and it's great to be here. <laughs> my my question is, and is just to ask you, first of all, 
I'm just going to go right to the beginning. Where were you born? <laughs> I was born in London, England, in the so, south of London at the so time. So you're a you're a British citizen. I am for my well, I nearly said for my sins, but no, I am a British citizen, and um, I have actually applied for my Canadian citizenship. Mm, very so good. So it will come eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, it was interesting because. You did not really know the Lord, and your family seems to have not known the Lord. Right. Tell us about it. Yeah, I was brought up in a very divided family. Nobody had any spiritual convictions at all. Uh, nobody knew nothing. anything. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They were atheists in that sense, I guess. And um, so I was brought up in a situation where there was a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting. My mum and dad split when I was about four. We moved to, to live with my grandparents. But strangely enough, he said, God does some amazing things. That move later in, in, in later years actually led me to the person who led me to the Lord. Had that division not happened, and it was very sad, and there were a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, but had that not happened, I may not have met the person that led me to the Lord. Okay, so so the, the, you you grew up, your family is kind of split up and all that. You moved to this new location. You sense now, you see now, that God was going after you. So what happened? How old were you and what took place? Well, I was 16 at the time, and uh, we were um, very wayward teenagers, when I say getting into trouble, we were never caught. So we, we didn't get into trouble in that sense. But we were wayward teenagers. We actually carried weapons with us in those days. It was really quite bad. And one day when we had nothing to do, which was highly unusual, we sat and watched TV in my friend's house. And his sister, who was about five years older than him, came in and said, I need to speak to you too. And she was really direct. This is your friend's sister. My friend's sister, Mavis, her name. She's with the Lord now. She turned the television off and sat down and began to tell us about the gospel of Jesus Christ, focusing on the second coming, which scared the life out of me mm. in those days. <laughs> 16 years so old. So you were told about the, the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. Yes. Why did that scare you? Somehow it seemed real. And, and I think what I walked away with, and she did this for five nights. Right? One night after another. Night after night. <laughs> you should have not gone back. I know. You did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> it was so interesting. And this was till like two and three in the morning. Hmm. But when she first spoke the very first time, something resonated in me that there has to be some reality in this. I didn't believe in evolution. So where did we come from? How did it all start? And it was that that really kind of captured me. And then as I'm walking home at night, I'm thinking, or early hours of the morning, maybe he's coming tonight. Maybe it could happen. It felt that real. Yes. Back so this, this, this obvious presence of God was there. Yes. And, and you're starting to realize, I, 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 need, to, I need to get right. Back. Absolutely. Now, let's, let's talk about that because this is over several days. So... 
At the end of her conversations, what did she say to you? At the end of that five days, she said, well, it was a Friday. This is October 1963. She said, will you come to church with me on Sunday? Without hesitation, I said, yes. And my friend said, yes. So we went to a Pentecostal church, in fact, in South London, Elim Pentecostal Church. Packed solid, we sat with the young people. Well, I was young in those days. We sat with the young people <laughs> in the balcony and... Um, the pastor preached. I don't know what he preached. I can't remember that. But at the end, he said, if anybody wants to give their life to Christ, put your hand up. Let me, let me know and we'll pray for you. I spoke to God. <laughs> I said to him, this is your chance. <laughs> this is me talking to God. <laughs> this is your chance. <laughs> if you're real, hmm. make yourself real to me now. Hmm. And I uncontrollably shook from head to foot. And I know now, of course, that's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. Yeah. And then he said, come to the front. And so I went to the front. We were counseled. And it's been that way ever since. So when, when you came to know the Lord, that long walk from the youth section down, yes. down the aisleway to the, to the altar, um, and, and you were led to the Lord by somebody there. And yeah. Do you remember who the pastor was? Yes, I do. His name was Tom Walker who has also gone to be with the Lord, who in years to come, when I went to Bible college, was one of our lecturers. Hmm. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. Now, now on the next program, we're going to pick it up there because you come from a home and because and, we have to, have to find out what your mom thought about all this. Oh, yes. And because there's, there's some other things that took place where the Lord apparently healed you yes. in your leg and all yes. that other stuff. We'll talk about that on the next program, but uh, this is important because you were involved with helping a lot of media get going. Right. We'll talk about that. Uh, God Channel, you helped them. You helped uh, some other, we've got to be careful what we say, but you helped some other channels get yes. on the air and all of that. And you are involved with Axe Television with yes. us. And that's, it's a Canadian organization. We're very excited about that. We'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, I need you to call people and let them know over the next five days or six days that we're going to be talking to Ray Craddock. And he's somebody from London who's applied for Canadian citizenship. I vote for yes. Anyway, uh, so make sure that you call people and tell them to watch the program over the next few days. But in the meantime, let's get back to the program and listen and see what people wrote in when we ask them what to pray for. Here it is. As we talked about the discipline of the Lord today, we disciplined ourselves to pray or to talk to God about the people. That's what we've been doing. Remember that we have a prayer meeting on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30, and I invite you to join us. It is a great time. 
we can pray for you. That's 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. But today, let's pray and let's say this, Lord, help me to hear your Holy Spirit. Help me to hear your Holy Spirit and teach me to serve those who need you. In Jesus' name, amen.